I'm Michael Knowles, and this is The Michael Knowles Show. I could be a very wealthy man right now if I had invested in Bitcoin a long time ago. But I don't know anything about Bitcoin. I don't really know anything about investing. Might be able to be a wealthy man if I start investing in Bitcoin now, but I need someone to tell me what the hell Bitcoin is, which is why I've brought on the expert, BitBoy Crypto, Ben Armstrong. Uh, Ben, if you're not following his content, he's got well over a million subscribers on YouTube. He is the place to go for crypto news, cryptocurrency trading advice, all these things that I don't know anything about. Ben, thank you for coming on. Yeah, thank, thanks for having me. Uh, you know, anytime I get to talk crypto and especially when I can reach an audience that maybe doesn't know that much about it, uh, it's always a win for me. So very excited to be here. You're talking to the main audience that doesn't know anything about it, namely me, the audience of one. I, I need you, Ben, if you don't mind, to answer this for me once and for all. Allay my fears. I have had one, this sort of Luddite uh, disposition, which is I'm skeptical of all new technology and I never would get the new video game consoles when they came out. And I, I, I'm, I'm an old man, Ben. I'm an old man in a young person's body. So what is Bitcoin? What is crypto? Is it real? Is it just gambling? Is it just a speculative asset? Or should I start throwing my money into it? Well, I, I'm glad I'm speaking to, uh, you know, an old man in a young body as I'm an old man in an old body. So, uh, you know, I, I've always been a little bit of an early adopter. I think a lot of people would tell you about that. Uh, you know, if you ask them about me and my life, I've always been a little ahead of the curve on, on things of technology. I, I look ahead and I see what's coming even if I don't necessarily think it'll be beneficial for me, like, you know, gaming is getting absolutely huge. I'm not a gamer, uh, but we try to take advantage of that on our channel. We talk about different, you know, gaming coins and gaming cryptos and things like that. So uh, I understand where you're coming from. I think the majority of people are skeptical about crypto. Uh, back in 2017, when I really went kind of all in on crypto, uh, you know, I, I talked to people back then were just as skeptical then as you are now. The people that listened to what I was telling them at that time they're doing very well. The people that didn't listen and remain skeptical, well, you know, they missed out on a golden opportunity. So uh, I do think it's really important to, uh, to differentiate between Bitcoin, crypto, and blockchain. Crypto is kind of the larger arena that all of that kind of fits uh, within. Blockchain is the technology that underlies a lot of uh, the crypto infrastructure. There are some coins out there, crypto projects that aren't technically blockchain. Uh, They're even using newer technology like IOTA is a, is a coin. They use something called Tangle, which try to wrap your head around that. I don't even know if it's going to work. But um, then, of course, you have Bitcoin, which is the first crypto, uh, or a lot of people say cryptocurrency. I personally don't use the word cryptocurrency because mm. it, it gives everybody, I think it's really one of the most you know, common misconceptions about crypto is they're not all currencies. Like everybody looks at Ethereum and they says, well, you know, how are people going to be spending Ethereum as a currency? That's not really the what it is. You're really investing in crypto or in Ethereum as a network. And the more successful the network is, the more valuable the coin will be. It's not about trying to replace the dollar with Ethereum. Now, hmm. when Bitcoin started, it was certainly started with the mission to be a currency. And I think this is really where that misconception comes from. I like to use digital assets. I think that's a much better term uh, for everything in the space or crypto assets in some cases. So when it comes to, to Bitcoin, its original intention was written, of course, by Satoshi Nakamoto, the uh, anonymous 
uh, founder. A lot of us think it's, you know, a combination of Hal Finney and some of these other cypherpunks. It was multiple people that created it. We haven't heard a word from him. And, you know, since I think 2010 was his last post. So we don't know where he is. But he wrote the Bitcoin white paper uh, in, in late 2008. And what that said, uh, the, the subtitle was Bitcoin, uh, you know, peer to peer electronic currency that was or electronic cash uh, is, is the gist of the byline. And so a lot of people took that to mean that this is going to be a currency. We're all going to pass back and forth. It was created in response to the 2008 bailouts, the financial crisis, because, hey, if, if we're responsible for ourselves, but the banks and the insurance groups and all the, the auto industry, they don't have to be responsible for themselves. That's not really fair. We're having to foot their bill and we don't like that. So what if we had a way that we could be in control of our own money? And that's what it started as. Well, it's a great and noble cause. Uh, I think we would all agree. We, we don't. We want privacy in our transactions. We don't want every single thing we do tracked. I think that's something a lot of people in your audience uh, can that resonates with them and they understand that. Crypto, in a lot of ways, it works very similar to cash in a privacy aspect. Like if I want to pay you cash for something, I can go pay you cash and the government doesn't have to have their nose in that business. Uh, of course, above a certain amount, you would have to disclose that according to the IRS. But crypto kind of you know captures that same idea. I should be able to send a transaction without the government putting their nose uh, in the middle of that. But something happened in the last you know eight years, probably starting around uh, maybe less than that, maybe about 2015 to 2016, the narrative of Bitcoin started changing from, hey, this is a currency. We want it to replace the US dollar to now people see its value. Uh, it's appreciating value over time. It's the greatest appreciating asset we've ever seen in the history of mankind. Some charts will even show you it's like an infinite rise. You know, like the the crazy for Bitcoin for a penny was what it started as. Of course, as of the recording here, somewhere between forty five and fifty thousand dollars per Bitcoin. So, the narrative changed to, hey, the biggest value is holding it. So now we actually look at Bitcoin as digital gold. It is an alternative to gold. I could go over all the reasons why it's far superior to gold. I know I just did a debate with Peter Schiff uh, that people can see some of that information on. Uh, but so it, it started as a currency, but now it is more digital gold. And in terms of uh, an actual cryptocurrency, we're seeing a lot of different options arise from that. There are several coins that try to fulfill that still like Bitcoin Cash, for instance, or Litecoin or Dash or some of these other ones. But we're also seeing the rise of what we call CBDCs, which are central bank digital currencies. These are centralized cryptocurrencies that are just another iteration of your local central bank. So... That does clarify some things, but it raises about a, a million more questions for me as well. It's a lot to unpack. Now, I'm, so I'm glad to hear you say that it's not really a currency or it's not just a currency or it's not primarily a currency. Because that's been mm -hmm. one of my issues with Bitcoin from the very beginning is I thought, I don't really think this is going to behave like a currency. I don't think people are investing in it as though it is a currency. Right. I think they're looking at it more as a speculative asset. They they mm -hmm. see it as a thing that they want to put their money into it because they think the number is going to go up and then they're going to have more money. So then the question becomes, is this just the tulip bubble in the Netherlands? Is this just a bunch of people who are pouring their money into something because the number keeps going up. But if there's no real value underneath it, and if there's no uh, sort of uh, long-standing human interaction with this thing that can give you confidence that it's going to have value, is it just going to collapse one day? Well, uh, you know, and I always got to say this, like, 
eventually it will collapse one day. I mean, I, I don't think it'll be the world currency for the rest of human civilization. Uh, you know, there will be a new technology that comes around one day, but in the short term, over the next 50 to 60 years, I would say uh, there's very little chance of that. The 55 out of the top 100 banks in the world, more than half have exposure, heavy exposure to crypto. Uh, and we're seeing more added by the day. Fidelity recently just jumped into crypto in a big way. They've already been doing crypto custodianship for a while. It, you're seeing more and more banks and hedge funds. Uh, we saw over this little, we call it the mini bear market, where the prices dipped here for Bitcoin over the last few months are on the rise again. Uh, but BlackRock, the biggest you know uh, hedge fund in the world, they tripled their Bitcoin holdings during that dip there. Uh, so there are a lot of big players. We know Tesla bought Bitcoin, SpaceX owns Bitcoin, MicroStrategy owns Bitcoin, PayPal, Grayscale. At some point, when you look at, when you read the tea leaves here, it all starts to add up. Crypto adoption is coming and it's coming pretty quickly. Uh, so there's a lot of belief underneath crypto uh, that pushes this forward. And of course, I, you know, I do like the way you said, you know, or a, you know, long standing, you know, human interaction, because I mean, you could really argue there's not much different between Bitcoin and the dollar. Uh, actually, you know, dollar way more inflationary. Uh, they just print it at will. I mean, a lot of people would say the world's biggest Ponzi scheme is the U.S. dollar. Yeah, I, I I see that point, and so I, I'm trying to make these distinctions so that I don't I don't want to make a criticism of Bitcoin that could be equally true of gold or right. equally true of the dollar. But I like that you pointed that out. Well, when you when you get to the dollars, the dollar is uh, sure very inflationary. It's actually very inflationary right this minute <laughs> under the Biden administration, mm -hmm. but it's it's still backed by a bunch of guns that are held by the Pentagon. And yep. if you if you look at gold, gold it's just a it's just a thing, right? It's just a pile of bars, but it, it can be turned into jewelry. It has been valued by human beings since basically the dawn of time. People like to look at it. It glitters all nicely. People have confidence in its value. People don't think it's ever going to go to nothing. So, so my question then for Bitcoin or crypto more generally is, what am I getting? What is the, what is the value beyond, if there is one, what is the value beyond it just going up a little bit? I, I, I saw this other related technology, the NFT, the non-fungible mm -hmm. token, which yeah. is, I, I, I suppose, and again, I obviously don't understand this very well either, but it's a way of selling some image. It's a way of selling some mm -hmm. digital property, at which I can just download right now and print out myself. But it's somehow you have ownership of it then. Yeah, like you can print the Mona Lisa, but you don't own it. But you don't know exactly, right. But so for a, for a digital technology, you know, if I were to sell the NFT, the non-fungible token I'm on a tweet of mine, I guess then someone would own that tweet, but everyone else gets to look at the tweet too. And I just don't, I don't see what the added value is. So what, so what am I missing? Well, I, I would tell you, we're at the very beginnings of an emerging technology that, <clears throat> you know, when I'm really passionate about decentralization, and I think that's something a lot of your audience, you know, I hate the techocracy. Yeah, I speak yeah. out against the big tech. I speak out against the censorship, uh, the stuff that happened with uh, uh, what, what was the app that got taken down out of the app store? Uh, Parlor. I, I can't even remember anymore because yeah. it's been so long as I took it out. <laughs> uh, but the stuff that happened with Parlor, that's unacceptable. Yeah. Crypto and decentralization and blockchain are really the way that we can tie together the internet. A lot of people say, well, crypto is in the days of the Wild West. Well, no, the internet's still in the days of the Wild West. When you can have a seven-year-old that can pick up a phone and look at pornography, yeah. we're still in the Wild West days of the internet for sure. And blockchain actually has a lot of ways it can solve many of those underlying rotten, decaying problems with the internet. So 
we're at the beginning of this. The first time somebody trip over a, uh, a gold nugget, let's say, uh, you know, I don't know, in a cave or something, they looked down. They didn't look down at it and say, oh, you know what? One day that's going to be using cell phones. How cool. You know, they didn't they didn't look down. They say, oh, I can melt this into jewelry. You know how awesome. The first people that when this, you know, when gold out of technology, but when it was emerging, you know, he said this is the beginning, like people didn't know what it was going to become down the road. And with crypto, this is an emerging technology, the same way you would have looked at the beginning of the Internet and been like, I don't understand why my company needs a website. It's cool that people can, you know, chat on AOL Instant Messenger. But what do I do with this? That's where we're at with crypto. And a lot of these other crypto projects uh, like Ethereum, like Cardano, uh, they solve a lot of the problems that we have in society with the internet for Bitcoin specifically. This is why I do believe that Bitcoin is more akin to gold than these other projects, because it doesn't really have a working network of uh, DeFi projects, decentralized finance projects like Ethereum does, but it's all developing. So what can you actually use your Bitcoin for? I mean, the same thing that you would probably use gold for to appreciate as an asset or the development of something called the Lightning Network, which is a faster way to send Bitcoin transactions. Uh, there are all kinds of things coming in the future with Bitcoin development that maybe there will be actual more functional reasons to hold a Bitcoin. I mean, right now, like you said, it, it is just based on the fact that, you know, I, I like that you said the dollar is backed by all the guns. Uh, inside of, of Washington, D.C. and the Pentagon and, you know, our, our military. Well, I would tell you, looking at the banks and their movement into crypto, hmm. I would tell you that the money in the bank's coffers are far more dangerous than right. the guns. That, okay, this is starting to make sense to me then, because I obviously empathize with the the demand for decentralization. And I and especially now as my dollar is basically worth nothing and mm -hmm. I go to the grocery store and everything, all the prices keep going up. I think, okay, yes, I, I certainly want that. I don't want, whether it's the government or big tech, I don't want them having this creeping, awful surveillance state to, to monitor everything I, I do or think. So, okay, I, I recognize why people would want to get into Bitcoin that way. And and I, I see the other point, which is, yeah, maybe Bitcoin itself is not doing anything for you other than going up and down. But the underlying technology of blockchain, Absolutely. this is going to be very important. You know, George Gilder, who was Reagan's favorite economist, actually, was Ronald Reagan's most cited economist. So George Gilder is, has been around a very long time. He wrote a book a few years ago called Life After Google, where he said, listen, you young whippersnappers, get into this blockchain because this is the future of the internet. This is going to be the future architecture of the entire internet. So, okay, I get that. And then this leads me to my next question. If Bitcoin, if crypto, if blockchain is posing a threat to centralization, certain monopolies on currency and assets. If it's, if it's, a lot of people are going to be turning against it. So I want to know, how is this thing going to survive the inevitable regulatory push and who are the people trying to regulate it? Yeah. So the people trying to regulate it, I mean, it's, it's a mixture of the CFTC, the SEC, the treasury, you know, we call her Janet, no telling yelling because there's no telling how much she's going to print or, you know, <laughs> recently more, you know, we like calling her Janet, uh, felon yelling, as you know, she's taken all kinds of bribes from the bank. You, you guys may not know this. A third of her overall net worth came over the last year from Zoom calls. This is uh, the Treasury paid, Secretary. Treasury Secretary. And she, a yes. third of her net worth has come over the over the past uh, few years. She is worth $20 million right now. Over $7 million of that came in this last 365 days from speeches she gave over Zoom calls, which were paid by banks. Mm-hmm. Uh, many, I don't have the list right in front of me of the, of the banks that actually paid her. 
City was definitely one of them, though, uh, that, that paid her. So, you know, a third of your income or your net worth, not your income, your net worth came over Zoom calls from banks. You wonder who she's trying to protect. Wow. Uh, there's a reason she's pushing against crypto, but they're all arguing over who it should be. Now, uh, here at BitBoy Crypto, uh, we are pushing hard. We're actually trying to create the first crypto lobbying group. That's something we're trying to do to, to push to get more favorable crypto regulation and help people understand it. We've also, I went and spoke with the Texas State House of Representatives who are, we find the state representatives are great. We, we're we're going to be speaking to Alabama soon. We've got several other ones. I go and give a presentation, talk about the beneficial you know, elements of innovating in blockchain. The new space race between us and China is going to be over blockchain, we believe. And so trying to get that favorable innovation is something we need to push these states to do. On the federal level, they're all owned by the banks. 90% of our politicians are owned by the banks. Uh, so the, the fact is, it's going to be hard from that standpoint to, to really get favorable regulation but you can't ban Bitcoin. People may have seen like China banning Bitcoin mining or, you know, we make jokes about banning Bitcoin because we know there's no way to ban open source computer code. What they can do is they can come after the on and off ramps to exchanges. But we also know that Coinbase is a highly regulated exchange and they're part of what we call the financial cartel, which is a lot of the biggest banks, including uh, some, some Hong Kong tycoons were some of the original investors in something called the Digital Currency Group that actually owns a large portion of Coinbase. And so Coinbase is kind of the, the chosen financial cartel uh, exchange. And so now that doesn't mean you shouldn't use it. It's the easiest way to use uh, crypto or to buy crypto for a person that's new, the Coinbase app. But you know, Coinbase is not going away. The government's not going to be able to regulate. And we saw with the infrastructure bill, they had a lot of stuff that was very negative towards crypto. And mm -hmm. before it's, it, it, you know, it's going to leave the house again and get you know, approved, all that stuff's going to be fixed. And actually, I think it was the, I think it was, I can't remember if it was the SEC. I can't remember exactly who it was said that in the current state of the bill that they wouldn't even legislate it as it's written because it's unenforceable. So uh, we don't know who's in charge of crypto. We're a big advocate for having uh, an independent, not, I mean, there will be politicians on it, I'm sure, but having a, a separate commission or council that is over crypto with people there that actually understand it at least a little bit. Uh, Cynthia Lummis, uh, you know, Senator from Wyoming. She's a person that definitely understands Bitcoin, understands that Wyoming's, uh, you know, very pro crypto. Uh, she's definitely a person that, you know, she was also, uh, you know, uh, wrote on one of the amendments to the bill that, that didn't get passed, but had a lot of favorable stuff for Bitcoin. So there are some politicians who do understand it in inkling. Uh, some understand a little more, but the vast majority of people trying to regulate crypto right now don't know what they're talking about. And we've seen this, the SEC, the CFTC, and the Treasury, they're all arguing who is in control of crypto, which is just pushing this, you know, it's your common, you know, political nightmare. So, well, this is true of, of most issues I've found in Washington is that the people making the rules and the laws don't have any idea what they're talking about whatsoever. And so I'm, I'm not surprised that crypto, which genuinely is somewhat complicated, is eluding them. So speaking who, of who's in control of Bitcoin, you mentioned this name earlier. But I, I want to go a little deeper. Who is Satoshi Nakamoto? Oh, Satoshi Nakamoto. So this is the guy. We, we say the guy. Now, I, I got into Bitcoin first in, uh, <clears throat> in 2012. And so I, first Bitcoin I bought was, was at $12. I kind of backed into it. Uh, I was not using the Silk Road like a lot of people who got hit at that time. I was actually buying a software for a business that I needed. And for, those, and, for uh, people who haven't followed it, the Silk Road, because there was a major yes. legal case about this, the Silk Road mm -hmm. was this sort of 
network of dubious legality that was outside of the main internet. It was on like the secret internet. The you dark had to log web. On, the dark web. You had to log into all these different things to access it. And this is one of the places where Bitcoin really began to flourish. Mm-hmm. It did. So it, it's a little bit of a black eye on Bitcoin that one of the things that really pushed it into the spotlight was such a negative thing where people were, you know, buying nefarious, you know, drugs. I mean, just, but if people want to feel better about it, just know there's a guy out there that paid 30 Bitcoin for some shrooms, you know? So, you know, I mean, people can buy drugs on the dark where I guess now they shut it down, but they could have bought drugs on the dark web with Bitcoin, or they could have walked down the street in Chicago and paid cash for it too. So, yeah, you know, this course. is not just a total black eye on, on Bitcoin. Right. So, but we, we do look at it kind of like that, but it was one thing that caused, you know, Bitcoin to, to flourish for real. Um, but, you know, when I first got in, uh, I remember reading an article about this guy, Satoshi Nakamoto. And at that point, like they were still thinking it was just some random Japanese guy, uh, which was so funny. The education that we provide on our channel at Bitcoin Crypto, like it wasn't out there during those times. It's hard to learn about Bitcoin. Uh, so over many years, like we put a lot of stuff together and I'm of the opinion, I feel very strongly that uh, Satoshi Nakamoto is actually a combination of many of the, what they call the cypherpunks. It was a group of people that included Julian Assange, uh, Craig Wright, uh, Hal Finney, uh, Nick Zabo, many of these early kind of innovators in the world of crypto. Uh, and, you know, they created this thing called Bitcoin through uh, something called Bitcoin Talk Forum. This was the, where they would go back and forth. Hal, Hal Finney was the first person to receive a Bitcoin transaction or transfer. That's hmm. why a lot of people think he was probably the one. Now, Hal Finney has passed away. He had a disease and died. And many of the other candidates for being uh, Satoshi Nakamoto have also passed away, hmm. which, you know, there may be a little conspiracy there. Dave Kleiman is a guy that people look into. His death was very suspicious. He's associated with Craig Wright, who claims to be, he, he, he outright claims he created Bitcoin, but no one believes that's true. Uh, a lot of people think it's maybe because he was good friends and partners with Dave Kleiman who, you know, could have been Satoshi and then he died of, you know, mysterious circumstances, which is why Craig Wright's out there saying, I did it because he knows the real creator can't come out and say it. But Hmm. here's the important thing. Uh, Uh, Before you go on, I think this merits a little more discussion because I I had heard this, that, you know, Satoshi Nakamoto is, is probably multiple people and and a lot of the people who it could have been have died under very strange circumstances. Yep. I have a pal of mine who floated, call it a conspiracy theory, floated this idea that John McAfee had something to do with, with the development of Bitcoin. He did seem to have a lot of money in Bitcoin at one yep. point. He died under infamously suspect Absolutely. circumstances saying, they are going to kill me, they're going to kill me. And then he committed suicide, allegedly. Uh, so regardless of whether McAfee was involved or not, what does this mean? I, I just, I suppose what, what, it really worries me about all of this is John McAfee dies. Uh, forget about Bitcoin for a second. John McAfee dies and he says, they're going to whack me. People are going to come and kill me and say it was a suicide. And then he allegedly commits suicide. Jeffrey Epstein, we all joke about it. We say Epstein didn't kill himself because no one thinks Epstein killed himself. Right. But we just say like, oh, ha, 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 you know, the the nefarious forces of this world murdered this man and they'll get away with it. And then, and then you get to Satoshi Nakamoto and a bunch of these dudes who allegedly created this world-changing new digital asset wind up dead. And there are questions of, did they, were they killed by state actors? Were they killed by non-state actors? And we all just kind of brush that off as, oh, well, that's what happens. You know, if you're very oh. powerful, you'll be assassinated by some people. I mean, that, we should take a moment and pause. That is a very scary prospect. Oh, it is for sure. And this happens. And, you know, it is very sad that we live in a world where we laugh about Jeffrey Epstein and, and not because I mean, we, we laugh because 
it's it's comical to believe that he hung himself. Everyone right. knows. Right. Everyone outright in the public, everyone knows he didn't hang himself. But I, I will tell you a, a story, which is uh, I, I know a person who was a very high level, uh, you know, uh, person in the military, uh, someone who had a lot of international kills uh, under his belt. And this is a person I said the name people, they might not know who it is, but if they did a little research, you know, he, there's been stuff out about him. And, uh, you know, he said one of his things he missed the most, one of the, his biggest regrets uh, in the military. And as basically a person that, uh, you know, had a lot of international kills, uh, 50 to 60, I believe uh, he said that uh, he was very irritated. He never got a stateside kill. <laughs> Oh gosh! You have to think. You have to think about this. There's literally a person out there responsible for killing Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah, there's literally someone out <laughs> there. Hillary Clinton, by the way. It's we know. No, I'm I'm joking. I, did, I, 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 I didn't say it. I'm not allowed to say that. You know, I, I, I didn't hear that. But uh, in, uh, regardless of uh, you know, let's just imagine Hillary Clinton didn't even exist, and that wasn't a meme itself. That uh, it, someone out there literally yeah. was responsible for the actual kill. Right. Someone went into that cell of John McAfee, who I know personally. I met John McAfee, or I haven't met him in person, but we've done several, uh, three or four interviews together. Uh, and I know people that know him very well. And I can tell you, I'm pretty sure he didn't have anything to do with the beginnings of Bitcoin, but he knew a lot. He hmm. certainly knew a lot. Someone went into that cell and murdered him. And yeah. That's a very dark proposition to believe that we, you know, we talk about the control and we talk about the censorship. There are literally people working for these people who are going and doing these kills of uh, people are involved in this. And so I, I do have to say that, but on, on the greater subject here, I, I will say that there's a lot of suspicious stuff around many of the people floating around the beginnings of Bitcoin for what we know. But I still believe that the number one person responsible was Hal Finney. There's a lot of evidence of that. Hmm. And he actually died of natural causes. He did have a disease and he did die. But I think it's kind of a perfect storm. I think it's a perfect storm of the best thing possible. Now, certainly I wouldn't want to wish death on anyone, but the best possible case for Satoshi Nakamoto for Bitcoin is that he has passed away. Hmm. He owns anywhere between 600,000 to 1 million Bitcoin. He would actually, when Bitcoin goes over, I think 55,000, like it was before, Stoji Nakamoto technically would be the richest man in the world wow. by the public numbers. You know, there's people that owe more money, but that's a different story. Uh, but, you know, with, with uh, you know, him passing away, that means a couple of different things. It means that Bitcoin will never move. So that's like a million out of the circulating supply, hmm. but it means there's nobody to speak for Bitcoin. So there's no, hmm. that's been one of the most beautiful things. He's like a folk hero. Satoshi, Satoshi Nakamoto, he can't come out and tell you what his vision was. He can't tell you, yeah. guys, I meant this is a currency, not his gold. He can't come out and tell you like, you know what, guys, I actually don't like the way that the volunteers have been developing Bitcoin lately. There's nobody in that role. And if you look at Ethereum with Vitalik Buterin, he says stuff all the time that makes the Ethereum miners upset or the community upset. You look at, you know, Charles Hoskinson with Cardano or Brad Garlinghouse with XRP. You know, there are certain things they say that a lot of people don't like. Bitcoin doesn't have that. So it's really been the perfect storm of allowing Bitcoin to flourish without, you know, someone having to get attacked for it. And so I, I don't believe like personally, look, I'm you know, I, I'm all for conspiracy theories that aren't really conspiracy theories. You know, we we know a lot of stuff that people towed out there as conspiracy theories are actually facts, uh, like the Jeffrey Epstein thing for sure. But when you look at Bitcoin, I actually believe in a little more wholesome, like it was created, the creator actually died, 
ultimately, you know, that's great for Bitcoin. Not, don't want to wish death upon him, but it's great for the future of Bitcoin and that, uh, you know, not having someone to speak for it has been extremely beneficial. That's right. It'll, it allows it to be stable, not, not even just in the numbers and in, in, in its, in its uh, you know, the actual numbers of Bitcoin, but in the, in the narrative. The narrative is very important too. Is this one guy's weird pet project or right. is this something that really now belongs to everybody? I have so many more questions. I have so many more angles I want to take this down. I have so many different investing tips that I want to ask, but we got to leave it there. Thank you very much, Ben Armstrong, BitBoy Crypto. Go check out his channel. It's already got lots and lots of subscribers, but uh, go add some more subscribers to that and find out more answers to questions that that, uh, I clearly uh, am not able to answer, though I'm better able to answer them now after talking to you. Thank you, Ben. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. (laughs) 